This is the Prayer Culture Podcast, where we talk about building prayer into the lives of Bible-centric churches and individuals. I'm your host, Michael Green. I have a background in missions to the Islamic world, as well as being the founding member of Puramore, a ministry that is dedicated to developing a deep culture of prayer within local churches and communities. My co-host, Patrick Rowe, is a board member of Puramore, as well as being a longtime church planner in the greater Houston area and Thailand. This is the Prayer Culture Podcast. As a reminder, the Prayer Culture Podcast is a ministry of two or more, which is a crowdfunded ministry. So if you enjoy this content, please check out our website and giving page listed in the description. Also, when you have a second, hit the like and subscribe button. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on the Prayer Culture Podcast again. So it's coffee shop guy and fly fishing here. <laughs> you spend more time in coffee shops than I do fly fishing, which is zero amount of time. You spend more time in coffee shops than you do fly fishing. What? Yeah. Exponentially, infinitely more. Oh, man. All right. Well, today we're excited and not terrified, but maybe just a little. <laughs> We're talking about a really sensitive subject today, but we believe it's important. And it shouldn't be sensitive, even though it is. Yeah, it shouldn't be, but but it is um, because it's very mysterious. We're going to talk about the gift of tongues. And the reason we're talking about it on a prayer podcast is because whenever you engage in prayer with people, um, at some point this comes up. I mean, I even see it in like churches where there's not really much engagement with this gift, but you know, you have that one resident charismatic <laughs> yeah, or, right. you know, or people show up to the prayer meeting as guests and they start praying in tongues. So this is going to be a thing. And so we're going to kind of address the theological positions about it, what we believe the Bible says about it, because it is important when you're going to have a prayer meeting and engage with the Lord to have a framework for this so that you can honor him going forward and honor others going forward right. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you have to have some idea of what you believe about tongues theologically and what are you going to do about tongues if you're going to have prayer ministry. I mean, just in the life of the church anyway, but especially if you're really trying to engage in prayer ministry, as you said, it's you have to confront this at some point so that you have a plan for it. And, and that way it can be actually useful for ministry, because it can either be powerful or it can just be confusing, which yeah. is, that's biblical. That's what it says. Yeah, absolutely. So before we go into this, I'm going to pray for us to have wisdom and discernment and, and care as we talk about it. <sighs> Lord Jesus, we love your word and we love what it says and we want to honor everything you say to us. Mm. And we want to operate in it and live in it. Because we know you say these things to glorify God, and you say these things so that we will be closer to you, so that we'll operate in things that will help us, not hurt us. Mm. So we just ask for your wisdom and your care, yes. and that many people would be blessed by these words. Yes. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... First, I'm just going to share the different theological positions as far as I understand them. So uh, first, we have cessationists, and cessationists deny that the gifts are still active, the gifts of the Spirit, right? 
And so they're going to say this is not a currently active gift. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a cessationist brother and sister, know that we love you. You are a brother and a sister. (laughs) You are a brother and a sister. Um, So this is not an indictment of you. So understand that. So that's one position. Another position is the earthly languages position. So in this position, basically people hold, well, the gift of tongues, it can still be operable, but from the way that we interpret Acts chapter 2 and... 1 Corinthians 14, really, it's only earthly languages Mm. exclusively. And so there's a few things that kind of go into that, but essentially the argument is even in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul is talking about languages, he is talking about an earthly language. Now, there are two subcategories of this camp. Uh, One kind of takes a more naturalistic view of it and says, well, the gift of tongues is really somebody who has this unique ability to learn language fast. Right. So I've encountered this group a bit. And then there's another group that would say, well, it is a supernatural gifting. So it can happen spontaneously without as much of the mind engagement. But I do find a a lot of people kind of falling in this group. Well, Maybe it could happen that way, but you know, the way it usually plays out is somebody's just gifted at learning languages. Okay. So there's that group. And then there's the group that says the gift of tongues includes earthly languages as well as spiritual language. And this group also has two subcategories. So I, I learned about this a little bit more recently, but basically there's the more traditional category, which says there's an angelic language. Mm-hmm. So there's a heavenly language that you can learn and start speaking. Right. Or, or heavenly languages. Uh, not or even necessarily that there's like one language spoken in heaven that, right, that the Spirit may impart to you. Sure. That one seems a little more like exacting, like, hey, there's, this is an actual spoken language in heaven. It's a dialect of heaven, oh, right? Okay. Okay. As opposed to a view that, you know, Dr. Storms holds more is like this tongues is actually a personal prayer language. Mm-hmm. It's a language that God understands with you and it's between you and him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when something like interpretation happens, God is giving you or some other person who's interpreting the ability to discern that. Mm-hmm. So as far as I understand, those are kind of the three camps and then the subcategories that kind of play out. Mm-hmm. Patrick, what's your take biblically on, on this issue? Is, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> That's all you want me to say? <laughs> I would say that there's probably another camp, which is just like anything goes. <laughs> you know, it's like there's probably not even a lot of like thinking about the theology of tongues and where does it come from and what's its purpose and uh, like all the delineation that you just gave about how people see it differently. There's probably a lot of believers who are just like, I don't know, it's just something that happens and they're not overly concerned with all the questions and and all the, you know, all the different thinking about what it is. It's just like anything goes. So there's people on 
all sides, far ends, people very far apart from basically from cessationist to anything goes, you know, don't even have like a theological framework. Well, and a lot of those people are brought up in like more Pentecostal traditions where they hold an angelic languages position and then they believe in like to some degree, not all of them, but some of them believe in coaching and like, this is how you learn this language. Right, right. So they're... Yeah, I guess that's kind of how I was framing it up. But yeah, yeah, <clears throat> no, it's it's helpful. Yeah, the the framework's helpful. Knowing all the different positions uh, is we need to know them so that we all understand each other. Because as you said, and I'm glad you made the point. We are brothers and sisters. You know, we can't use this issue, which is this is this issue is used as a dividing issue. Like we can't fellowship together. Sure. E- even there are even some who would say, if you do that, you're not really a Christian, or you preach a false gospel and things like this, you know, like going really far. Well, and the flip side is um, saying that this is the sign of the Holy Spirit in you. Exactly. Like if you don't do this, you're not a Christian. So there's people on both sides going, don't do that. That's not of God at all. And then there's some people going, well, you're not of God at all unless you do it. So we're, we would not land in either of those polar positions. And Absolutely. We, because we don't think the Bible does. And we're, we're just trying to be Bible guys and, and spirit guys, but we don't think that the, that the Spirit inspired those ideas and that they're unbiblical. So where would I land then is I, I do believe that tongues can be given as a gift, as an earthly language, which of course you see in Acts 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on the all the disciples gathered in the upper room. They're all filled with the Spirit, and they begin to, what the Bible calls, you know, declaring the mighty works of God in all these known earthly languages. And there's, you know, it, it lists all these languages because you have the crowd going, what in the world? These guys are all Galilean, but they're all declaring those mighty works of God in our own languages, and they're from all over. So, in that case, there you go, you have known earthly languages, and, and that kind of, I get a little bit torn about gifts as like, I mean, sorry, at, at tongues as like being this evangelistic gift, where the Holy Spirit will empower you to speak in an other, another known earthly language in order to share the gospel, and that Acts 2 is used as kind of a proof text for that, but... Paul actually, I'm sorry, Peter stood up and preached the gospel in a language that everybody there could understand. But he wasn't supernaturally speaking in a language he didn't know. He was speaking in his own language to share the gospel after they heard all these mighty works of God being declared in all their own tongues. So it's like, how was the gospel shared? Was it shared in tongues? I don't, I don't know that it was. They were declaring, they were praising God and declaring his mighty works, but then Peter actually used his own language that was shared by most of the people in the crowd, I'm sure, or maybe all of them, could have Greek maybe, to actually explain the gospel. So that being used as a proof text for like tongues is always earthly, um, I'm not into that. And especially because you get to 1 Corinthians 14, and Paul talks about the gift of tongues being in the church as like a prayer language or a praise language. And the way he talks about it is that it basically is just bringing benefit to the one person. 
So it's meant to build up the one person who's actually speaking uh, in tongues. And so, I mean, we, we can read some of it if we want to. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, starting at the beginning, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So right out of the gate, when Paul begins to teach the Corinthians about what tongues is and what it's for, he says, you're not speaking to people. You're speaking to God. That doesn't sound evangelistic, for sure. You right. know. <laughs> now, he goes on to say there can be an instance in, where you're actually speaking to people if it's interpreted. Okay, So he really is trying to make the case for tongues is good, and he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, and I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, he says later in chapter 14. But he says the one who prophesies is greater because he's building up the church. Mm. He's speaking in words that can be understood, that are from God, and so he's, he's building up the whole church and really edifying people, where the person who speaks in tongues is speaking not to men but to God, unless it's interpreted, he says. If it's interpreted, then it's kind of on par with prophecy. It kind of p- becomes prophetic at that point. Right. Um, and so it's building up the church, and that makes it profitable to everybody, not just the one person. But that still remains, if you're speaking in tongues, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are at a minimum building yourself up in a way that nobody else understands in that moment. So then that that doesn't sound to me like, you know, he says that that if you're speaking in tongues, nobody understands you. Well, that doesn't sound like known earthly language. You know, he doesn't, Paul, in, in Paul's mind when he writes that, he's not thinking, you're speaking in some known earthly, and this is my understanding of it. You're not speaking in some known earthly language that somebody might understand. The way he's thinking of it is you're speaking in a way that only God understands. This is between you and God. God understands it. He could even supernaturally give you or somebody else the interpretation of it so that it could be useful for the whole church. But at a minimum, you're speaking only to God for your own upbuilding. So then that's where the idea comes in of, okay, if it's not a known earthly language, not something that other people could understand, then what is it? And that's where you start thinking, well, maybe this is angelic or it's heavenly. And in 1 Corinthians 13, just go back one chapter, and he says right in verse, in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what does Paul mean by if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels? Well, he's, been, he's already been talking about spiritual gifts and that we should be seeking the power of the Spirit to operate in these gifts uh, but it's all for the purpose of building up the body and all being unified as one body. So the yeah. gifts are not just, they're not meant to be just for me personally or for my own glory. And that's why he interjects chapter 13 into the middle of his discussion about spiritual gifts. He says, Love, love is the greatest thing. Love has to determine how and why we use and operate in any of these gifts. So in the context of talking about gifts and even tongues, he says, if I speak in the tongues in the tongues of men and of angels. So then there's the idea that you have this so, angelic or heavenly tongue involved. What if that's hyperbole? Does that change it or not really? Because that's, you know, the primary argument about that passage is he's not talking about something that's actually real. He's using an extreme example. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, can't you slap that? on everything as an argument. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, 
Pastor Sam talked about it too, that it's it's speculation that it's hyperbole. It's not an absolute hermeneutical the, yeah, there's no principle way to prove that. that that's actually right. exactly what it is. I think the argument is that the other examples he uses in that passage are not possible things. And so mm-hmm. that's what the primary argument is. So one clarification, as you were talking about 1 Corinthians 14, are you saying that you think that he tags team between tongues, a certain type of tongues and another one with earthly languages, or he's the whole chapter is about the spiritual language gift of tongues? Yeah, I mean, I obviously, you have Acts 2, where it is known earthly languages, and the Lord was using it in an evangelistic purpose, okay, declaring the mighty works of God, then it gives this opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed at Pentecost. So does and can the Holy Spirit give a gift of tongues that is known earthly languages that people will understand? Yes, biblically, of course. Yes. He can do that. He has done that. I'm sure he continues to do that to this day. But is that the only way that he gifts people with tongues? I believe no, because of the way Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 14. To me, that seems like a totally different context. He even says at the end of the chapter if everybody's speaking in tongues and somebody comes into your gathering, there's nothing to interpret, just an unbeliever or an outsider comes in. He's just going to say, you guys are out of your minds. But if but if some, everybody's prophesying, mm. then the person, the, the secrets of their heart are disclosed, they're called to account by all, they fall on their face, they worship God, they declare that he's really among you, you know? So Paul sees prophecy as being... Really, the, if, if there's going to be a gift given by the Spirit in the church, in the gathering, where an outsider or an unbeliever comes in, prophecy would be more useful, Yeah, not tongues. So that would flip that whole idea on its head of, oh, you need, if an out, unbeliever outsider comes in different language than you, then yeah, sure, maybe the Spirit would empower you to speak in their language. He's done that before. He did it at Pentecost. Um, but is that the only purpose of the gift? No, not according to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul's saying if, for an outsider, you'd rather prophesy to them. Yeah. So, and, and just his talk about angelic tongues and, and the purpose of it just being for the self and not for others, uh, and that nobody understands you. It's just between you and God. You're not speaking to men. Yeah. Um, to me, that means there's something different going on there. So I could see I could see tongues being known earthly or heavenly, and um, and that both are good and both have their own purpose. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I would agree with that fully. I think that you mentioned the first verse. I mean, second verse in First Corinthians fourteen: For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Mm-hmm. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Yeah, that doesn't sound like you're just speaking, you know, spon- yeah. spontaneous Greek. Well, and then he continues. Whatever. He continues uh, in verse four: the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself. So you mentioned mm-hmm. this, like it's building me up. Speaking in Greek is not building. You know, spontaneous Greek is not really doing anything specifically for me. Maybe if I'm like getting the original context of the New Testament yeah. or something. I mean, Great. to be honest, <laughs> would we know if it was Greek or angelic? I don't Well, and that's know. the thing. So actually, th- it's funny you say this, because I have a friend who has this exact experience, okay? Okay. He's at a prayer meeting, and he's praying in tongues, and an old lady next to him is Greek. 
Shut up. And he's speaking. She says to him, you're speaking in perfect Greek. Wow. No joke. That's so cool. (laughs) So he didn't know, but that's what he was doing. And so he was praising God in Greek. And, uh, and I trust this guy. He's a really very factual Bible guy, reasonable guy. Like he's just, he's not out in any kind of left field. And right. Well, well, here's, so he wouldn't say this if it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, first you have to decide, is he just a total liar? You know, like he just made this up. Yeah. But then the real thing is, has he ever studied Greek? Like does, would he know naturally how to praise God in Greek? I don't think so. He studied Arabic, but okay. So not at that point in time. So that's the real thing is like, (laughs) If you don't think he's just a liar at all, then it is just miraculous. Just on its face, obviously, it's just miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. That's super And it's cool. an earthly language, which witnessed to her. I, I don't remember him saying like she was an unbeliever or anything like that. Um, I don't know that part of the story, but I do know that it's like, it did minister to that woman. Sure. Which is kind of an interesting dynamic. I'm sure they were both really built up. Yeah. I mean, she was able to interpret it. Yeah. It, it really kind of fits in. <laughs> it kind of sneaky fits in to 1 Corinthians 14. Like he was speaking in tongues and she interpreted it and they were both built up. I'm sure everybody in the room was. They were probably were like, you guys got to hear this, you know? That would really, if she's going, this is what you were saying, you were praising God, you know? And it was like perfect. Yeah. Then, I mean, that would build everybody up. Sure. And I've heard tongues in many different contexts and... Sometimes there's kind of a similar few kind of phrases that go on in general, and sometimes it's totally different. Like, so it's, this passage, I I don't know, I've, I've heard people make the argument for an earthly language exclusive um, belief system on this, but the foundation of the passage seems to not be really affirming that at all. Yeah. Well, so. and uh, to be honest, Michael, I think the real the real discussion about whether it's earthly languages or angelic is if if we were to take a recording, okay? Let's say we we just went on this like journey of trying to understand gifts and and where do they come from and what is it like and all that stuff. And so we just recorded, okay, let's take a thousand people who say that they speak in tongues and let's record them all. And what we're looking for is, do we hear any known languages? Okay, if you heard some, and you could prove that they had never studied that language or whatever, like whatever it is, it's a language they don't know, okay? And some of them are known earthly languages. You could prove that. You could say, that is that language, and you didn't know it, therefore it's a miracle. Therefore, it was the Holy Spirit where if it's an angelic tongue, it's impossible to prove. So when somebody's praying in tongues, you know, they, they say they have been given the gift of tongues, and you hear them praying, and it doesn't sound like what regular earthly language would sound like to you, it's so easy to be skeptical and to toss it out, because it, does, it may not sound real enough to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and it's impossible to prove. It's like you can't go, oh, well, yeah, sure, that's the language of this group of angels in heaven. You know, I know that because you can look it up on Google. Like, you can't prove it. You also can't disprove it. So it just makes it this slippery thing to try to grab yeah. onto. 
And it's so easy based on personality type. If you're the more cynical, skeptical type, you're like, that just sounds phony. You know, I'm throwing it out. Or if you're just the anything goes type, you're just like, yeah, sure. You know, that sounds great. Let's run with it. And and uh, it takes just a level of discernment that is also has to be supernatural to know, like, is this real or not? Yeah. You know? And you just can't... I, I'm never going to look somebody in the eye who's praying in tongues and being like, that just seems fake. Like, you're faking that, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm never going to do that because what do I know? What do I know about what it sounds like when the Holy Spirit gifts somebody... I'm so glad at Pentecost all those people understood. Or, you know, we, we've had moments even on our own fellowship together where there's like somebody, you or somebody else is praying in tongues and then somebody else thinks, says, I think I know what you're praying. I think I know what the Spirit is saying in you, through you. And then it turns out to be something that was really relevant, you know, and that couldn't have been known yeah. naturally. So those things are, that's good enough for me, you know? Yeah, and, and I'm not going to try to sit there and determine intellectually. Does that sound real enough for me to embrace? But to me, that's the real that's the real controversy. Is it's impossible to prove unless it's earthly. Yeah. So and and for any impossible to prove gift, you can find manipulation of that gift somewhere. Absolutely, it's out there. It's going to be out there. And so, really, it's like first if I know the person and the authenticity of their relationship with God, Mm -hmm. then that has to be a huge factor in what I believe about it. I can't say that that person's never, ever going to be deceived, but like they're not manipulating this gift to get something out of it. If, if I know that they have a truly authentic, sincere walk with God, Mm -hmm. um, they're not using it to, for personal gain. They're, they're only doing it because they genuinely believe it's this, they're talking to God in a way that the scripture right. demands. What it comes down to also is the practice of it. So I have seen like this, well, if you're doing it out like audibly at all mm-hmm. in a gathering, then you're not authentically doing it because you're breaking what scripture says in right. 1 Corinthians 14. Right. If it's not interpreted... That's not what the passage says. The passage in no way accuses anyone of being, of inauthentically speaking in tongues. Right. That's important to note. Like Paul never here says, oh, you're just faking it. Right. Why are you faking this? Don't fake this. Right. He actually assumes they're authentically speaking in a gift of the spirit, tongues. Right. Yeah. That's the crazy thing is (laughs) we only know about, we know, we don't know that much about the gift of tongues. Okay, if we're being honest, we just nobody knows that much about it. It's a mystery. Okay, yeah. it's supernatural. It's a mystery. What we do know about it, we know primarily from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And the whole point of him writing that letter was that you are authentically gifted by the Spirit, but you're using the gift wrong. Yeah. Come That's on. the whole basis. Come on of our knowledge is people who are actually supernaturally gifted in in some way but who are misusing the gift. Yeah. And they're having to be corrected. It is the most mysterious thing to me about our relationship with the Holy Spirit that we can actually receive a gift from him and then misuse it. Well, Chuck was talking about this on our last episode. He was saying that um people 
became psychics because they had a prophetic gifting and they weren't accepted in their mm. their place. And so they ended up turning to demons with this, you know, this thing. Mm. But it is it is a true thing. Like we can misuse the gifts God gives us. I mean, that's I mean, Matthew seven's clear about that. Like you can have all these giftings mm. and still not even be with God. <laughs> right. So I personally want to have the heart of Paul when I approach people. Mm-hmm. I want to assume somebody who says they love Jesus and really seems to love Jesus, I actually want to assume they do. Yeah, they really do. And yeah. they really are being authentic. And I want to assume they are operating in the spirit and speaking in tongues. Right. Really innocent until proven guilty, you know? I, yes. And as I see the fruits, you know, we're going to address fruit in each other's lives as a body. Mm-hmm. That's what Paul's saying here is like, hey... You can do tongues all day, but really the thing that you want to focus on is edification. So do the things that are really helping everybody. Right, right. Um, And so the same comes in when it's like, if somebody's fruit is bad or is starting to turn bad, even misusing a gift like tongues and using it as a form of manipulation, that's when we lovingly call people, hey, don't, don't go that direction. Yeah. Paul says, "Let's do it this way. So let's right. let's do what God says in His Word." You know. Yeah, yeah, and he and he says it right there in verse twelve of chapter fourteen in First Corinthians. Uh, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, which first of all, we should be eager. He's commending them for that. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And to me, that that throws me back to chapter thirteen. It's like he's saying the purpose that the Spirit has in all these gifts, including tongues, is love, is building up. It's not selfish gain. Um, and, and so that's the whole point. So I, I'm right there with you. It's like we need to not be naive, you know, not be gullible, but we need to be discerning, but a discernment of the Spirit. And the discernment of the Spirit is not cynical. It's not guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. It's I I love you. I'm going to trust you to the degree that like we're brothers and we have the same spirit. And if you know which by the way, can I just say <laughs> say it, brother. <laughs> I, I I am. I kind of asked permission, <laughs> but not really. Can I just say it's hyperbole. that <laughs> don't don't okay. Don't do that. Uh that if somebody is praying in tongues, okay, and you hear them, that is not the same as being addressed by them. And so the context of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is talking about if you are if you're praying in tongues, it's between you and God, and you're not addressing other people unless it can be interpreted, okay? And and he's saying this uh, because he doesn't want confusion. He, he doesn't want all this confusion in the church. It needs to be interpreted. Um, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. And then he goes on to speak about some some kind of guardrails for prophets also. But if you are speaking, you're keeping silent in the church and speaking to himself and to God. To me, that means quiet. 
you're actually speaking, but you're speaking very quietly just between you and God, unless someone is there to interpret. Now, that's a whole other... I guess we're not getting into interpretation today, because that's a whole other trail, you know? But to me, that means if somebody is near me, and I can hear them quietly between them and God speaking in tongues, they are not abusing me. They're not addressing me in some way that's unbiblical. They're, yeah. not, they're not speaking at me. They're speaking to God. And so why, why would I be offended or you know discouraged or hurt by that? I don't think we should be. Now, if they're going to say, I have a tongue, if they're going to be one of the two or three who stands up, and and they have a tongue, then they should only speak if they have an interpretation or if somehow they know that there's an interpretation. But but we shouldn't be discouraged by just the fact that I heard somebody. I heard somebody speaking in tongues, and that's wrong, therefore it's unbiblical and not of the Spirit. Right. Yeah, and I would just really encourage everybody out there, for those who do have the gift of tongues be sensitive to the people you're around, you know? So like for me, I'm in a space where I mostly speak very softly to myself, pretty much never discernible <laughs> or maybe a little, but, and that's what I'm comfortable with. I, I actually, at this point in time, I'm comfortable with keeping scripture. It says be silent mm-hmm. um, and asking the Lord to bring interpretation. Next time we'll talk a little bit more about how God has broad interpretation and some stories and everything, but basically be sensitive to the people around you. And if you are a cessationist listening or somebody who's been more harsh toward this gift, I really encourage you to unite with brothers and sisters, please. Like Mm -hmm. don't make this the hill that you die on. Right. Uh, You really have to reject a lot of really God honoring, God loving, Jesus loving people yeah. Um, completely, if you're saying that the current day gift of tongues is demonic and they're like operating in some demonic way. Right. Please, right. please don't do that. As a reminder, the Prayer Culture Podcast is a ministry of two or more, which is a crowdfunded ministry. So if you enjoy this content, please check out our website and giving page listed in the description. Also, when you have a second, hit the like and subscribe button.